I did go back to my family and even my in-laws and ask their opinion and I'll never forget my mother-in-law said if anyone can do it you can do it and um, I'll always remember those words. Hello, Assyrian Podcast family. It's John in Chicago bringing you episode 151 with our guest Eleanor Thorne. This episode took me to the northern suburb of Lake Forest. I took a train from downtown Chicago and we pulled into the Lake Forest station less than an hour later. Uh, Once I deboarded the train, my eyes were set on a picturesque drag of storefronts along Western Avenue, uh, a pleasant mix of red brick atop a black facade on the retail level. It doesn't take long before I take notice of my destination, Lake Forest Bookstore, a shop that's been in the area since the 1940s, has always been owned by women, and is currently owned by an Assyrian-American woman, our guest on this episode, Eleanor Thorne. Eleanor's story is familiar thematically with so many other stories shared on the Assyrian podcast. There's tragedy and setbacks, but through it all there's redemption, success, and most importantly, happiness. Uh, I'm glad you've joined me from wherever you are or at whichever point in time uh, to listen to the story of a woman born in the United States, uh, fully assimilated into American culture, but like so many of our guests, has held on to her Assyrian culture and shared it with the people around her from her and her family teaching her husband the Assyrian language and showing her daughter-in-law how to make buragia. If I may make uh, perhaps a stretch of an analogy here, uh, bookstores thrive under pressure and threats to their existence, much like Assyrians do. This fills me with hope that just as the readers did not give up on their connection to the mom-and-pop bookstore, Assyrians and the people that see and hear us won't give up on our future. Support for this week's episode of the Assyrian Podcast is brought to you by Tony Kalagarakos and the Injury Lawyers of Illinois and New York. If you know anyone that has been in a serious accident, please reach out to Tony Kalagarakos. Tony has been recognized as a top 40 lawyer and a rising star by Super Lawyers Publication and has obtained multiple multi-million dollar awards. Tony can be reached at InjuryRights.com or 847-982-9516. This episode also sponsored by the Oshana Partners, a husband and wife real estate team. Are you considering purchasing or selling a home in Arizona or California? John and Rita are available to make your next real estate decision into a seamless transaction. Contact the Oshanas at 209-968-9519. Get to know them a bit more by checking out their website, theoshanapartners.com. That's O-U-S-H-A-N-A partners.com. Now let's transport you to a busy Saturday with half an hour left until closing at the Lake Forest Bookstore with our guest, Eleanor Thorne. Eleanor, we're here at the lovely Lake Forest Bookstore in Lake Forest, Illinois. I know we have a lot of California listeners for all of you. Not Lake Forest, California, Lake Forest, Illinois. Come stop by, come and visit. So naturally, the first thing I want to ask you, since we're inside of a uh, mom-and-pop bookstore, uh, what have you most recently finished reading? Actually, uh, right before I came to visit with you here today, I finished um, the 
cloud it's called the cloud cuckoo land by anthony Doerr, and he is actually um his prior book is a book called all the light we cannot see and is probably my favorite book that i've ever read all the light that we cannot see so can you tell us what that book is about it's the story of a blind girl and a young man during uh, World War II, and um, it's basically their story of how he helped her escape Germany and her family. It's a beautifully written, beautiful story. Um, it's one of the best. Is Cloud Cuckoo Land a follow-up to that, or is this a completely separate story? It's a completely separate story, and it's sort of a story, when I started reading it, I wasn't sure I was going to like it, because it follows four different people in totally different times, and, uh, you know, one's in 1400, one's in future, you know, 2000, and, you know, many hundreds of years from now sure. and but i after getting into it i absolutely loved it again his writing is beautiful so i know i was in the shop and and you came in a little just a few minutes after me and you were talking to your staff and you recommended the book to them and you said i was finishing it in the parking lot and yeah you were just kind of overcome with emotion so it's, it's obviously a book that that's kind of touching and obviously something that you would probably recommend to most people, I'm, I'm safe to assume. Yes, he won the Pulitzer Prize, actually, the author, and I am sure this is going to be a bestseller in our store, too. Excellent. And a follow-up to that, uh, how would you describe your reading style? Are you a quick reader? Does it take you a while? Do you pause on purpose to reflect? I I am a quick reader. Um, I read all sorts of venues though. I am not one of those people who just likes mysteries or um, non-fiction. I'm pretty much across you know the board. Um, I've read books in almost all genres. The last one I read was a book called The Silent Patient and it was a thriller and uh, it was excellent. I've read um, l lots of non-fiction books which I really enjoy. So yeah, anything. I'm the same way, too. I usually find myself, and, and let me know if you've ran into people who are like this, but I like to read a, a little bit of nonfiction, maybe a book or two in a row, and then I kind of get overwhelmed by all the information I'm learning. <laughs> so I'm like, now is a good time to break and switch to fiction and turn the creative side of my brain on. Do you often run into people who are like that, that switch between the yeah, two? Yeah, the, there are. A lot, of the, a lot of the girls on staff like to read both, but we also have staff members who just read one genre and that's okay because we have so many different genres and it's great to have people who are, have expertise in certain areas including children's books so I was telling you as you entered too that um, yeah I was doing a little bit of light browsing and I think I came across at least three things that I thought okay I think I'm going to buy a copy of this before I leave today so I have to go back out uh, as soon as we wrap up here and, re and remember what I was thinking I kind of remember where they are within the store which is a, a, again like I've said a lovely store uh, everybody needs to come and check that out uh, whether you're local whether you're visiting in town uh, such a wide array of selection here um, so I, I want to commend you for that as well. 
well. Thank so you. tell us about how you found Lake Forest Bookstore. I grew up in the north side of Chicago in West Rogers Park. And when I got married, we first lived there also. And after our first child, we decided to move up to Lake Forest. So that's been, oh my goodness, uh, 31 years ago, 32 years ago right now. So we've all always lived in either um, Lake Forest or Lake Bluff, which I'm a current residence a resident of and also a couple years in Los Angeles which we loved living there also so um, lots of good Armenian restaurants and <laughs> um, you know it was just like being home so sure. it was great and how long has the bookstore been has it been here as long as you have all been in the Lake Forest area uh, yes my wow. kids came here wasn't always in this particular location ah. um, it's been always on this main street uh, across from the train station but it's been around since 1949 always owned by women um, it started with a group of 12 women who decided Lake Forest needed a bookstore and originally Lake Forest was a, um, a tour uh, not a tourist but a summer vacation home um, area you know it's right along the lake and people from Chicago would come here and that's how it grew and you mentioned that it's always been owned by women was that a selling point when the past owners decided to sell to you no it, it really had nothing to do with it um, for the past seller actually uh, I was their bookkeeper and um, when I started she she told me up front that she was looking to buy to sell within a year or so um, she wanted to retire and actually was going to buy a small cottage um, bookstore up in Michigan where she retired which she ended up doing so I said you know that's okay I'll still be your bookkeeper and when you know Maybe I'll get transitioned over with the new owner. And then when she said that, you know, I had always had some kind of retail experience in the past. For several years, I worked at the Marshall Fields in um, Market Square here in Lake Forest. So I learned a lot doing that. It was always a part-time job while I was working full-time as a, an accountant. But um, I really enjoyed it. And so being uh, her bookkeeper, you know, I put my retail hat on and, and just said, you know, what can I do in the store to make it more profitable, more my style, more um, have more people come in to be interested in coming in. So after thinking about different things that I could do, um, I approached her and asked her if you know she would consider selling it to me so within about I don't know maybe a year year and a half I ended up buying it from her and you mentioned in our email correspondence that in town uh, the stationery store had closed down uh, right. the toy store had closed down right. so you decided to combine everything into this bookstore which is a genius decision because right. you're taking two things that are no longer local putting it into one has that been a success with people coming in to buy stationery and toys? Yes. Um, in addition to that, I also brought in gifts, um, hostess gifts, or um, you know, for holidays and 
just every day. Uh, it has been a huge success. It is now uh, probably about 30% of my business. So it's like my customers come in and say it's one-stop shopping. They come in, they can find a, a gift for a, a hostess gift or a children's birthday gift, and then they come in and browse for books for themselves, their husbands, whoever. Um, so yeah, it's been a tremendous success. Did you ever think, and I, I this just crossed my mind right now, did you ever in your mind consider, before you had that conversation with the previous owner, oh, you know what, it, it would be nice to own a bookstore one day? <laughs> oh, I, I would have never dreamed of this <laughs> <laughs> at any time of my life. But, you know, dreams of, you know, being your own boss is wonderful. I mean, there's a lot of benefits to owning your own business. And I think it just came at the perfect time of my life. My kids were in college or in uh, graduate school, so it was really a perfect time for me to take on this endeavor. And you mentioned college and just growing up, so let me pause and rewind okay. to 1960s Chicago. You mentioned uh, being from Rogers Park. Uh, that's where you originally grew up. Uh, describe to us what it was like growing up as a kid in that time and in that setting. Yeah. There weren't many Assyrians around where we grew up. Yeah, I think there's a couple families that I knew that were Assyrians. Uh, but we went to Carter Church, which at that time was off Montrose and Clark, and it was an Assyrian church. Uh, the minister, Pastor Tamraz, who was, well, there were other Assyrian ministers, but who I pretty much grew up with was um, spoke both English and Assyrian and most of the people who were at that uh, church had been here or had kids who grew up in the states so yeah, I forgot that you mentioned that with Carter Church as well because uh, a previous guest of ours Warren Shabbos who I talked to um, he also attended that church, uh, you know, back in the 70s, I think he mentioned, even before that, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And you mentioned uh, services in, in both English and Assyrian. Mm -hmm. Did they kind of switch within the same service or did they, did they hold specific services in English and then a separate service in Assyrian? Um, no, it was all in one service, you know, and there wasn't, I do have to say there wasn't a ton of Assyrian, but for the Assyrians who did not speak much English, who had just come over, it was enough for them to understand what his points were in the sermon. It was a great place to go to church, and um, like I said, that was where I met most of my Assyrian friends were all from Carter, and uh, we still communicate today. Wow. You know, so, yeah, so one of the girls who I grew up with actually lives in Lake Forest, and I mean, so there's, yeah, we still all get together and celebrate. I love hearing that, that, that no yeah. matter how much time and, and distance might come between people, especially in our community, which is uh, such a, a big community in the diaspora, obviously, for us to stay connected and to have that link. 
Um, you also told me in our, our email correspondence that your uncle, uh, Dr. Felician, started Assyrian classes at Northeastern Illinois University. Uh, you attended those classes as well? I did. And when did he start those classes exactly? Do you remember? Oh, my goodness. Uh, probably in the late 60s, early 70s. That's when I remember maybe the very late 60s and 70s. Um, yeah, and I... I I understood Assyrian my whole life, um, but I was able to learn how to read and write and speak. Um, so it was it was great. And you mentioned at, at church there were a, a mix of Assyrians and non-Assyrians, but were these classes well attended? Um, you're talking about Assyrian school. Yeah. Oh yeah. They were. They were a lot of the same people I went to church with. Oh, good. Um, they attended also. So, yeah, they were. I mean, the classes were every Tuesday night, at, uh, and they broke it up in uh, levels and age, sort of. So, I mean, there weren't hundreds of people by any chance, but there was, you know, a good 50 or 60 of us who were there every Tuesday night. That's excellent. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure at that university... Perhaps maybe not consistently, at the very least on and off. I think they still do have classes of some kind mm. uh, related to uh, just the Syrian classes in general. I know our cultural federation does. So that legacy sort of lives on. It's, yeah. it's great that he did that at that time and kind of kept the ball rolling for future generations. Right. Um, delving a little bit more into your family, your mom was originally from Iran, uh, your father from Iraq. Uh, where did, where and how did they meet? Um I don't know a lot of their history, unfortunately, but from what I remember and from what my aunts and uncles have told me um, since since my childhood was um, the back then the borders were very porous and there was no issues of them going between countries. So. Um, I don't remember whether they met in Iran. I, I'm pretty sure they did, but I know my two brothers were born in Baghdad, so they had a very nice life in Baghdad um, the first few years and then decided it was time to come to the States. So they left Baghdad in 1958, but my mother was, like you said, from Kermansha and my father was from Baghdad. Um. You sadly lost both of your parents at a very young age. Uh, can you describe how that impacted you? Well, um, I lost my mother when I was um, 11 of leukemia. Uh, it, it, unfortunately, she passed rather quickly. So um, she was at Swedish Covenant, and I didn't, at the time, I don't remember visiting her very much, so she must have been really, really sick. Um, I do remember a few times, but, um, and then ironically, two years later, on that same weekend, the first weekend in May, my father passed away of a heart attack, and um, he was so lonely once she passed, I I just have a feeling he, he just wanted to be with her. So, um, so unfortunately, I grew up um, at, by 13 uh, without parents, and my little sister was 11, but my brothers were older than I. They were, um, let's see, maybe 18 and 19. 
And so we were able to stay in our family home in um, West Rogers Park. And my uncle moved, my uncle and aunt and my cousins moved a block away. So we would go down the alley every night for dinner. They were so wonderful to us. And until I was old enough to, you know, start fending for myself and for, you know, my brothers and sister. And we had such a great family support system and with my aunts and uncles and cousins. So, you know, sometimes I say, people don't understand how important like my second cousin or my great uncle or they're just mean the world to me because they were such a part of my life and so hence that's why I probably had th over 300 people in my wedding so <laughs> which my husband couldn't figure out yeah. at all but um, so yeah family was huge church was huge um, Without them and my brothers, of course, who were there for us, um, yeah, it was amazing. And you mentioned your brothers, Asha and Ninos, along with your extended family. Uh, that's you give a lot of the credit to for, for raising you and your sister um, the rest of the way. Uh, do you sometimes think if things had gone differently that you may have drifted from the Assyrian community had it not been for your family stepping up to the plate to take care of you? Or do you feel that connection would have been just the same? Yeah, I do believe that connection. My parents would have made sure that we were all connected. Um, you know, my family, my house when we were growing up was the hub of both sides, my parents' side, both my parents' sides, my mother and my father's. So that tradition would would have been the same. So my mother was the entertainer and cook, and <laughs> uh, yeah, we always had good parties at my house. So aunts and uncles from both sides, cousins, mm -hmm. did they all originally land in Chicago when they moved as well, or w were they along the same timeline as you and your parents, or did they come before that? Um, my aunt ended up, my first one over, from what I remember, is my uh, aunt, and she was in Modesto, and that's why we ended up in Modesto first. Um, and then we moved later to Chicago because of my father's father and better work and, uh, you know, more choices for us here than in uh, California. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, I think everything would have been the same um, as if my parents were. Was it ever explained to you why, you know, you came to the uh, your family i should say because you were born in the united states but why your parents decided to come to the united states and why life wouldn't have been as good for lack of a better phrasing in baghdad yeah i think there was uh writing on the wall back then and there was um persecution of christians back even that far that long ago and uh, i mean my parents had a very beautiful home and a great life there but like I said they knew that things were changing and they knew that they needed to leave and luckily my aunts and uncles uh, most of them came here in the 19 uh, mid 1960s from Iran and um, 
and from Iraq. So most of my relatives were, came briefly after us. So It's interesting that you mentioned the 1960s from Iran specifically because it's kind of viewed as a, a secular country at the time. Were there, was there also experienced persecution on that side of the families and in Iran, or was that more for economic reasons? I think it was uh, like both my uncles were doctors and they came here to, um, you know, go to school here. So um, I think that was part of the reason that they all started coming over. So it was more economic. And I don't remember if they said they had any um, issues back then. I did, I mentioned to you earlier that I had one uncle who was the, um, a general in the Iranian Air Force and was able to come after the revolution, get back to California. So he, he knew writing was on the wall there too and sent his family to California before everything. So there's, you know, always stuff brewing up the Middle East, unfortunately. I mean, you mentioned a uncle who was a general in the Air Force of Iran. Do you know more to that story <laughs> of, of how he reached that rank? You know, unfortunately, I don't. I know that he was one of the few Christians under the Shah's um, regime, and he was amazing at what he did, and that's how he was allowed to be a part of, you know, this Air Force. He was very, obviously very smart and to be brought up to that level, but I don't know how it started. And um, he just passed a few years ago and, but I still have, you know, his, he's got, still got two brothers and um, a sister who I, I should ask that question. I sure. really don't know. I'm, yeah. It's an yeah. interesting question to ask. To be sort of, for lack of a better word, the outsider in that group, to, yeah. to rise up to that level uh, within a, a very um, prestigious arm of the military, the Air Force. It's not a uh, not a joke, especially for a growing country at that time. Right. Um, and just, I know we have a lot of listeners who are super sleuths and might want to look into that themselves. What was your uncle's name? His name was Sam Polisian. So for anybody that wants to dig further, ask their you know, parents or their their family members, if they know more about that, uh, yeah. feel free to. This is this is why we do the Assyrian podcast. Um, so I mentioned to you earlier, we have kind of a global connection of of co-hosts. So our buddy Ninos from Australia uh, has a question for you: that uh, your life story, and this is his words, uh, your life story of migration and integration uh, mirrors more recent experiences. So uh, your parents migrating here and you being born here is very similar to what a lot a lot of uh, Syrians have experienced, like post 1980, really mm -hmm. in the United States at least. Um, Given that you are more along this journey in the diaspora, you've been around since 1960, uh, what would you do uh, again and what message would, would you give to recently arrived Assyrians as they attempt to integrate into quote-unquote Western life? Okay. Well, first of all, I would say school education is so important. Um, and I would say never give up hope. I mean, at 
not that I'm looking back and feeling sorry for myself, but I could have at age 13 being orphaned um, and not knowing how I was going to go to college and how was I going to get through life without parents. Um, but, you know, somehow it all worked out. So um, I would encourage them to uh, educate themselves. I've always worked my entire life, even raising kids, um, I worked. And um, I think I think you, um, between working really hard and uh, believing that you can do it and the faith I have in God and just the way I was raised, we, all of us, all of my siblings ended up being very successful. Um, one of my brothers is a dentist. My sister was a, um, worked for Kodak and uh, my other brother works as a uh, researcher and technical writer. So we've all learned that we could not depend on anyone but ourselves to have success. Um, I remember when I was I wanted to do, go into interior design when I was little and my brothers didn't want to not tell me that I couldn't do it but they also said Eleanor you have no parents to rely on so pick a smart career and a job something that you could always find a job in and I ended up as an accountant which led me to something that is more creative that I love to do here at the bookstore so somehow it comes full circle so yeah I mean trust yourself and and just work hard tell me you attended DePaul University go Blue Demons yes. uh, tell me about a valuable college experience you had while you were attending that university I did have like one t one or two times where I was in classes that I thought I was over my head, like in some tax accounting classes. Um, I mean, accounting is so diverse in what you can do with it and what direction you go into. So, you know, I had my doubts there for a while that I, am I really in the right field and that kind of thing, but got through it um, and managed to graduate. Um, it took me an extra quarter, which at that time wasn't always acceptable, but that's okay. But I did it. so. And you mentioned it was sort of tough with some of those classes. Did you start uh, kind of developing a plan B in your mind of maybe switching majors, or was it always just pushing through and getting done with the accounting work? Yeah, I think it was always pushing through and and um, and just knowing that that's that was my choice and that's where I was going. So and and like I said, it's it's led me to so many different opportunities and. Um, so many great jobs that I loved, and then it brought me to the bookstore and, and at the end here. So um, my account, I still do my own books here, so I still do accounting. Um, I do have my Assyrian cousin, Ramson, who does mm -hmm. my accounting and my tax return, which I still go back to that tax return issue. I love what I do here, and um, I'm very happy. I wish we all had an accounting cousin named Ramson that we can that we can <laughs> count on. No uh, pun intended. He's the best, so uh, I'm very lucky to have him. And like you said, accounting is where you spent much of your professional life. Um, 
Do you have any like interesting stories to tell about a career in accounting at all, or was it was it pretty straightforward? Um, it was pretty straightforward. I mean, I've done all sorts of things from auditing and traveling all over the country, auditing different, um, it sounds crazy, but there's internal auditors that have to go and audit um, different stadiums all over the country. So um, I've been all over going to like the Kansas City Chiefs where they are from Soldier Field to all over uh, the country doing that seeing concerts and ball games and but um so that was fun and that was the beginning of my career and then I did end up in a an area of uh, a small area of property tax which is another job that I had for many many years but no um it was it was fun and then just ended up really doing bookkeeping in my later years and working for small companies so you've piqued my interest with the stadium talk because i'm sort of not just a sports fanatic but just a stadium nerd in general Mm -hmm. more more kind of on an architectural level but how does um accounting for a stadium work are you doing all of the concession sales and all of that we were yes like you know the LA Coliseum you go and you see how they it's actually internal auditing so we're doing auditing on how their operations if it runs smoothly is there ways to make it run better Um, you know yeah I mean it was super interesting trying to um, do that kind of work just watching observing what they how concessions work you know how we can um, help with um, you know I don't even know how to describe it (laughs) it it was actually many many years ago but yeah yeah, but it got got me all over the country from um, Jones Beach in New York to all over It it was really fun I know business travel, obviously, it's emphasis on the business, so it's not a lot of time for fun uh, during these travels, but is there a place that sticks out into your mind where you think, um, oh, Kansas City, for example, I, I would have never imagined it to be a fun place. Is there a place that sticks out to you that you would have never imagined it being a, a scenic or a fun place to be in that, that sort of took you by surprise? Hmm. Oh, my goodness. I'd have to go back and think about where else I was. I do know that um, traveling for work doesn't mean it is always fun, but in my case, I always had fun. Excellent. Um, I just remember going to, I I think it was Jones Beach in New York that I went to, and then me and my co-workers went on a bus, and we ended up in Atlantic City, and you know, gambled there and came back home at like three in the morning there you and go. the next day. <laughs> That's what young people can do. I can't do that kind of stuff anymore. But um, yeah, so yeah, there's lots of fun ways to travel and make fun while you're working. For what it's worth, I think I've lost the stamina for 3 a.m. nights in Atlantic yes. City too. <laughs> oh, I actually do have another story about a place and this makes me never, I hate to say this, want to go back to... <laughs> Dallas, Texas, but I remember using a calculator and um, this is sort of inappropriate, I guess, but cockroaches started coming out of the calculator and the person I worked with uh, said, oh, don't worry about that. That happens all the time here in Texas. And I'm like, oh my gosh, make me not want to go back. (laughs) 
And I don't think I've been back to Texas actually since then. Yeah, I don't I don't think you can logically explain away cockroaches coming out of yeah. calculators. I don't yeah, I don't yeah. see the, the, the logic behind yeah. that. I don't think that's a natural resting place for no, cockroaches. And many other large bugs. <laughs> well they say everything is bigger in Texas, so they, it all it all checks right. out. <laughs> Um, so you mentioned uh, the transition to, to bookkeeping for smaller businesses, and then you the land, land the gig at Lake Forest Bookstore doing their bookkeeping, uh, and then you eventually buy the bookstore. Uh, did that feel, how did it feel to make a big pivot like that in your career from having, uh, like your brothers kind of always told you, a set job, a set career, to doing something on your own that uh, really took a lot more risk than anything you had previously done? Right. Um I did go back to my family and even my in-laws and ask their opinion, and I'll never forget my mother-in-law said, if anyone can do it, you can do it. And um, I'll always remember those words. My family was so supportive, even my my brothers and my, my husband and kids, they were so supportive of me making this transition. Um, they know I... I could, you know, when I explained what I felt I could do with the bookstore and the changes I could make, everyone was behind me. Though some people did say I was crazy because <laughs> that was the time where Amazon was at its peak and people were not going into bookstores. And I was nervous about that. Amazon is the evil empire, <laughs> as we call it here in the store. but. You have to make you have to make it special for it to be different. And I knew I could do that. And I knew the community would be supportive in my choices. And I also know that this community has been supportive for the last seventy plus years. So um, I didn't worry about that as much. Um, and yeah, books have changed. Things have changed. People want to walk into a bookstore now. People actually go and specifically on vacations to visit different local bookstores. And um, we have we are blessed to have many independent bookstores in Chicago. And um, I think things have turned. And I think for the better, I think people want to shop mom and pop stores, especially with the internet. I mean, you can't touch books. You can't talk to people about, you know, what's their opinion about books or, um, you know, someone will come in and say, well, I want this book with a red cover and I, it has to do with dogs and can you please help me find it? You can't type that into Amazon and, and figure out what book that is. Um, and it's, it's like a I always say this every Christmas this is it's so wonderful to come and have all the kids come home from college and this is a place where they all they all come together and everyone sees each other from and families unite and, and shop together and like I said Lake Forest and Lake Bluff have been um, and all the out Flying suburbs and um, have been wonderful to us here, um, and and we have a lot of out of town visitors on the weekends that come up from Chicago, 
and just take spend the day out here have lunch and come visit local shopping and I think it's all about being local and and appreciating you know local businesses and that's what I think some of the downfalls of these malls are is that everything was so cookie cutter and everything looked the same and I I really go out of my way and try to make things different here um, of course I have all the books that you ever could ask for and if not we can order them but just to make things different and and look different and appealing and make people want to come in I I try to change the store around every week or so just to move things around so people can see something new every time so it's not stale it's always something fresh so um, yeah I I think at least I've I have been successful here the store has done really well um, even during COVID um, we were able to stay open. We had a lot of support from local uh, community and um, a lot of, all of a sudden now I have tons of uh, online business where we would have an online sale once every six months and because of COVID now people are buying online for me. So I have cousins who order stuff from California and it gets sent. So uh, yeah, so it all works. And you touched on a couple of the different aspects, keeping the store fresh, um, doing the online orders and uh, sending some of these books out. Uh, so what would you say one of the biggest challenges day to day is uh, kind of outside of the threat of online retailers? What is one of the biggest challenges day to day in running a bookstore? I mean, I think for me, the, I'm very into changing displays and making people realize that we have different genres or um, you know our windows are super important because um, there are huge windows that we can display different things and so we try to change those up and I'll constantly be walking by the store or coming into the store and people will say oh my gosh I didn't know they had that in the store or uh, you know, always stopping and looking at the windows. So those are really important. Um, and day to day, it's a balance for me between um, being on the floor and um, trying to be out of the office, which is a big challenge because usually I'm in the office, I would say 80% of the time. But it's important for me to be on the floor too, to sort of get the feel of what people are looking for um, and the best thing here is the women I have that work for me are so well read um, that like I had mentioned they all have different genres but there's a few that know a large variety and we just have the best group of people here so and the best is now my daughter is working with me, which I love having her um, here. She works on social media and helps me, and hopefully one day she'll decide she'll want the store as much as I Terrific. do. Terrific. Um, a question that we have from our host in Detroit, Rhoda, 
Um, you mentioned a lot of things that you love about this bookstore. Um, uh, the knowledgeable staff you have, your ability to express your creativity and changing up the window displays and changing up the shelves in the store. Uh, out of all of that, what is your favorite part of owning the bookstore? I would say my favorite part is getting to know the people who are in the store and um, the people. It's electrifying when it's busy and there's people in the store and it's all about like knowing your customers and knowing them by name and trying to help them. Um, again, and then it's fun. I always say it's fun working on the weekends too though. Normally, my normal customers come Monday through Friday, sure. and on the weekends, it's a totally different vibe in here, and the vibe, again, is people from Chicago coming, or their kids are at the Naval Base, and they're bringing their, you know, taking a trip over here, um, and then we have Lake Forest College, so there's a lot of people who just come to visit, and, and it's fun just... You know, they're from different parts of the country and they're just visiting their family or whoever. And it's just nice to get to know people and to, you know, just be a part of that. Another question that Rhoda had, uh, it's one of, a really good one in my opinion because it's something that I struggle with just as a person trying to recommend uh, books for people. Uh, have you developed good book recommending skills as a result of working in a bookstore? Uh, I have. Um, you know, one of the first questions any of us will ask is, what was the last book you read and did you love it or tell me why you didn't like it? You know, what do you gravitated for, gravitated towards? And, you know, some people will be like, I don't want anything heavy, especially during COVID. I want something that's going to take me away. So, we all have our go-to books that I would, you know, say I recommend for this, or authors that are good for what mood you're in. So, um, yeah. And in what ways do you feel um, it impacts the overall experience of readers, shoppers, when they're buying from a local bookstore? Do you think they come back because they have that one-on-one -on -one experience with people who talk to them and let them know what options are out there for them? I do believe that, especially uh, people who are local. I do have families who come here every year that are out of towners and they shop here once a year and they'll load up on piles of books and they send them home. I think what happens is that I'll, I'll hand somebody a book and I'll say, you know, I absolutely love this book. And I'll say, read it. If you don't love it after 50 pages, come back and we'll return it. But, and I say, if you do love it, come back and tell me about it. And I think that's, they'll come back and say, oh, is the lady with the red hair or long brown hair here? I have to come back and tell her that I love this book and I want her to recommend another one. Amazing. Or, yeah, so it is amazing. People will come in and ask, is the lady with the short brown hair here or whatever it is they'll want to speak to them and thank them for giving them a book and we have families that do come in and once a year and come in and just say i love your bookstore we're in town and i'm back again and so that's become a tradition too so 
And pivoting to your family, you mentioned one of your daughters works here now, which is amazing. And I also loved reading this in our email correspondence. Your husband, Richard, learned how to speak Assyrian from being around your family so much. <laughs> you did. even said he speaks it better than most American-born Assyrians, which I find incredible. He does. I wish he was here. He would... <laughs> Hems him with you. Nice. He, he he knows he had to defend himself when when we were all at a big family table and we're speaking Assyrian and our you know I understand everything but I still can speak you know and so and some of my aunts and uncles weren't real well at, at, at speaking English so he had to learn and um, he loves speaking it and he he's really good and um, I love when we go to like my uncle's house and all of a sudden he'll start blurting out <laughs> some words or um, what I'm trying to think if I could think stuff that he just says and, and it just makes us all laugh <laughs> so um, I don't know how much did he know other about ancient Assyrians or modern Assyrians before he even met not you? a thing not, not a thing right no, no but he's a real history buff so he picked up on that and 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 ran with it um, so do you remember we often get the the famous oh you're Syrian? Did, oh, did yeah. he did he give you that when you guys met or what? Did I he... always say I'm a Syrian and I you know so he got it right away. Trust me. Nice. Um, and we have some Assyrian bulls in our house and he he always says I'm stubborn like that too. So. Do your children know how to speak any of it? Just like Dimanale, because always if it were in a store, I'm say La Dimanale, <laughs> and so they know or Tachisli or Hamandietra because he, it's the important stuff like it's too expensive, um, you know, Tamini or you know, Hush, you know, yeah. go, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, are they kind of connected to the Assyrian community at all in any way? Or have they kind of found themselves a little bit isolated from it? Um, well, we still, like, I had a party at my house last Sunday with my cousins and my second cousins. One of my cousins was moving to California uh, to Turlock, and um, so we had a goodbye party. So we're all together. So I make it for sure that our extended family is still part of um, part of their lives um, and we all love Assyrian cooking so uh, my son just got engaged and uh, I don't know do you do you have you eaten burak oh yeah absolutely okay, yeah. okay. I love making buraks my kids love it so <laughs> we have burak parties and my future daughter-in-law loves them so the last time I was and he's in Los Angeles now so of course there's tons of stores there I can buy anything I want yeah and um, so we had I've taught her how to make them too so I think with the food um, they're connected and my son has found all the good restaurants in LA which there are so many and bakeries so food is definitely a big part of our lives and you know making um, Nazuja and I have never done Chada by myself but I am will um, but Doma Tarpe and you know just cooking together is part of my family's love so absolutely 
and you've, you've sort of answered this already, so I'm going to have to reword that. I was going to ask you if you hope the bookstore is still owned and operated by one of your children when you're ready to step away whenever that time comes. Uh, you said you would love for them to, to keep hold of it. How important is that to you to kind of leave this as your legacy to at least one of the children to keep it going? Um, it, it would be huge. It, I would never force it on them if it wasn't something that they loved. But my daughter really does love working here, and um, she's really good at what she does. And um, she's a very creative person, as all, all three of my children are. And um, I don't know if that comes from me or my husband, who's <laughs> an artist, but um, I think... I. I hope to God she ends up with it. So she'll have to kick me out. <laughs> I love what I do. So Absolutely. And, and we're going back to the advice that you had received and sort of the advice that you had for uh, recent Assyrians who have, have moved to the United States, education being important, career path being important. Do you find yourself maybe... Um, in the same vein as your older brothers and maybe some of your relatives and the advice that you give to your children? Or are you maybe perhaps a little bit more uh, lenient or expressive in that, let's say if one of them wanted to go into, I'm just going to pull a rabbit out of a hat here, theater arts, would you be supportive of that? Or would you try to say, hey, that's like that's great that you want to act, but maybe do this instead? Well, that's funny that you say that because my oldest child, uh, Samantha, um, always wanted to be in theater and um, she was very active in that and I encouraged it I thought if you love something and you go for it I go even if you're not on stage and you still want to uh, you know you can make money somehow you know if you love what you do you can waitress during the day and do something at night and do your theater so I've always encouraged my kids my son actually went to law school and decided not to practice law and he's working for a company called Riot Games which is a game that he used to play while he was so stressed out in law school that he is now working for this company traveling the world loving it awesome. and it so yeah i mean he went to law school and he's not even doing anything <laughs> having to do with it so yeah why not if you could if you can succeed go for it do what you love i think that's sage advice for everybody we do just uh, on a whim sort of we always end our conversations the same way all of us ask the person sitting across from us whether it's a laptop screen or in person like you and i are doing if you could say anything to our global audience of assyrians what would you tell them i would say uh family is so important and and respecting our uh, heritage and where we came from but i also um think to remember um, to work hard and and know that you can do it and there are many examples of very successful fellow Assyrians and I also encourage people as a bookstore owner to shop local I think it's so important in this time in our country um, we don't want to be cookie cutter uh, malls are failing, and I think part of that is because of um, 
you know, everything was the same and they never looked outside the box. And we all need to support our local people, whether they're Assyrian restaurants or Assyrian shops, or it doesn't even have to be Assyrian, but shop local. Otherwise, we'll all be ordering from Amazon and it'll all be the same and uh, come in and um, stop by and visit the store and I think I could put something in your hands whether it's a book or a gift or a toy um, right off the train station so stop by and visit Eleanor thank you so much for your time and I'd like to echo your sentiment uh, please if you're local check out Lake Forest Bookstore uh, they can be found on Facebook and Instagram as well so make sure to uh, make sure to search for that uh, and if you're from out of town hey come crash at my place uh, we'll take you up here on the Metra we'll be here in no time we'll browse for some books uh, support small business support a Syrian business and uh, thank you for listening Eleanor thank you once again thank you so much John